Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Lee Younger. I'm one of the pastors here, and this is a message I gave on Sunday morning, October 24th, 2021, from the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 12. We have been talking for a few weeks now about folks who were almost fixed. Like Jesus got to work in their life. He did something amazing for them. And then there was something else that needed doing. They weren't all the way there yet. We, we've looked at uh, a bunch of different folks. We looked, at, we looked at, the, at what happened with Lazarus and how Jesus raised him from the dead. But then there was something that needed to happen that his friends could do for him. We looked at the, uh, the guy that was paralyzed at the pool of Bethesda and how Jesus healed him. But there was something else that he actually had to do for himself. And then we looked at, we looked at uh, last week the guy who was blind and Jesus healed him in stages. He healed him a little bit and then there was something else that Jesus had to do for him. We're going to look at something, a totally different kind of situation today. Jesus got to work in this guy's life and then there was something else that needed doing but it wasn't anything that his friends could help him with. It wasn't anything that he could do for himself. And when he straight up asked Jesus to fix it and to help him and to do something about it, Jesus said, no, no, we're not going to do that. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And here we go. I'm going to start in verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul talking. And this is a weird little passage because he's talking about himself, but he acts like he's not talking about himself in the third person, but it's him, and he's talking about himself. He says, I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. And that he's talking about himself. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I'll boast about a man like that, but I'll not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Okay. Um, so there's a, there's a game that little kids sometimes play, and I don't know if, if a little kid has ever approached you with this game. It's called Would You Rather... You guys heard of this game before? Basically, they set you an impossible decision uh, juxtaposing two things that you do not want to happen to you. So they're like, would you rather lose your eyesight or your memories? And I'm like, neither one. Why are we talking about this? Would you rather have a rat in your pantry or a cockroach on your toothbrush? And I'm like, why are we playing this game? I don't want either of those things. Would you rather have the greatest steak in the history of the world with no teeth to eat it? <laughs> or would you rather have the ability to fly 
but you're like locked down in a cell and it doesn't do you any good. It's like, this is a dumb game. Why do we play this game? Okay, I've got a would you rather for you guys. Ready for this? Would you rather turn over control of your life to an infinite being, infinite in power and wisdom and compassion and love for you and your story and your best, or would you rather take control of your life even though you're pretty limited, you don't know what you're doing most of the time, and you're kind of a hot mess like a lot of the time? And you're like, duh, I would like control, please. It's like, okay, well, the choice is you could just turn over control to the most powerful being in the history of ever who loves you like crazy and does everything out of the love. Yeah, I'd rather have control. Is anybody on that? Yeah, I mean, most of us are like, I'd like control, please, even though I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have a lot of experience, and I'm kind of a hot mess most of the time. I would like control. And the reason I would like control is because I can't give up control of my life. I have to have it because I want things to go a certain way. Amen? I want to reduce hard times, and I want things that I want to happen to me to happen to me. And I don't know if anybody else will achieve that for me. And I want suffering to go down, and I want comfort to increase. I would like for my regional sports team to beat yours. Like, I want to be in control of this whole thing. And the problem is, of course, one, I don't know what I'm doing half the time. I don't choose the right stuff for myself. And I don't trust the one who does know what he's doing. Which, by the way, I mean, the, the whole idea of just turning over control of your life, like the Jesus take the wheel kind of mentality. The problem with that is a lot of times I don't like his driving. Is anybody on that with me? Like we all have that friend who's just a really bad driver, you know? Like you get in their car and you're just like, what have I done? I had two best friends growing up, and um, one of them was a very bad driver. Like, he could barely see anyway. And, like, the thickest glasses in the world could not drive. And, like, and every time I would get in the car with him, we would start down the road. And he's one of those people that, like, when he's driving, would full-on turn to you and talk to you like that. Like, I know, right? Like, telling a story, and you're like, watch the thing! The road! And we graduated high school. He went to college, you know, in a totally different state and everything and, and moved up there. And, and like 15 years later, he decided to spend a summer here because his mom still lived here and his dad wasn't, you know, his, his dad had passed on and everything. And so he's going to spend the summer taking care of his mom and everything. So he was like, hey, I'm going to come pick you up and we'll go to lunch. And I was like, great. It's been like 15 years. And so um, since we had like, you know, since he had, you know, been in Oak Ridge or whatever. So he swings by the house to pick me up. And I was like, oh man, it's so great to see you. It's been so long. We get in the car and he starts driving. And I was like, oh no, I just remembered. <laughs> I didn't even tell Christy goodbye. <laughs> I'm never going to see my kids again. It's just like, we all have that friend that's a really bad driver. And I think the part, part of the problem with just turning over control of my life to, to Jesus, even though my faith says that he is infinite in power and wisdom and love for me and he does everything according to what's best for me in my life and all that stuff even though my faith says that's true I don't like his driving sometimes even though he writes a better story than me I don't always like his storytelling is anybody else on that I would like for things to go well I would like for suffering to reduce please I would like for comfort to go up I would like for the story to be tidy and nice and fun the whole time. 
Um, we've been looking at people where Jesus worked miracles in their life, healed them of something or did something miraculous and amazing for them. The guy that we're looking at today, this guy, the Apostle Paul, it's not so much that Jesus worked a miracle in his life, but that his whole life was a miracle. Like this guy was an unbelievable mess before Jesus got a hold of him in, in a really weird way. Like if you were to look at him from the outside, according to his culture and his life and everything, this guy was the top of the top, the cream of the crop guy. He was, uh, the Apostle Paul was born not in, he was an Israelite, a Jewish guy, but not born in Israel. He was born in a different city that was like a really, really important city in like, like the, you know, the world of the Roman commerce and trading and everything. So he actually had a Roman citizenship, which could just get you into any place in the known world. He had this kind of limitless passport. He was well-connected. He was a wealthy guy. He was brilliant. He was like top of his class in everything. After he left his hometown, he went to study kind of in university under the premier scholar in the Old Testament law. He became like Mr. PhD studying under the most impressive PhD lawyer, religious leader guy in the world. And he was the top gold star student. This guy was a Pharisee. He's on the Sanhedrin. He's just like on the climb. And in the middle of his brilliant and amazing career, with all of his influence, with all of his power, with all of his brains, all of it, all of a sudden, some nobodies from nowhere started saying that the guy that Governor Pilate had killed was alive from the dead and was the Messiah of God. And he's like, uh-uh, no, we're not doing that. I am going to defend my faith against these crazies. And so this guy named Stephen gives a sermon to the religious leadership, and they got so upset about it that they decided to kill him by throwing rocks at him until he was dead. And Paul, who was there, approved of this so much that he was like, everybody hand me your coats so you can really wind up. I'll make sure that you can really, really good get, get a good throw going on this guy. He voted for it. He was on board with it and everything. He was so upset with these people who said that Jesus was risen from the dead and was the Messiah of God, that he started going off, like hunting them down trying to find them wherever they were hidden so he could haul them into jail so they, so they could be in prison, so they could be killed. He said about himself in the book of Philippians in chapter 3, he said, when you looked at my life, he said, I was the Hebrew of Hebrews. When you looked at like, like how did people follow the Old Testament law of God, he said, I was flawless. And you want to look at how like my zeal, my passion for God he said, I was so zealous that I persecuted the church. I hunted these people down to take them out. He said about himself that he was breathing murderous threats. He got warrants for arrest, not only for the Christians that were in Jerusalem, but in other cities too. And he's on his way going after these people. And all of a sudden, when he's going to arrest them, he got arrested. He's on his way to the city of Damascus. And all of a sudden, Jesus appeared to him. He didn't know who he was. It says it was like brighter than the sun. And he says to him, he's like, Saul. That's what he was called before we knew him as Paul. He said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And, and this brother's like, who are you? And he's like, I am Jesus. And he's like, uh-oh. Um, 
So, and he's like, yeah, the homeless peasant guy, I am really risen from the dead. I am really the Messiah. You have been completely wrong. By the way, you're on my team now. And Paul's like, yes, sir. I mean, the miracle of this guy literally going with murderous threats to arrest, round up, and hunt these Christians to, in a moment, being like the number one guy on Jesus' team. This was an unbelievable, unbelievable miracle. What's really cool is that that, that same like fervor and passion that he had for hunting Jesus' people down, he then turned that around to just pursuing Jesus. He said in that same chapter in Philippians chapter 3, He said, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. That press on, it's the exact same word he said when he said, as for zeal, I was persecuting the church. He's like, I started persecuting the Christians. Now I'm just chasing after Jesus with that same passion, that same fervor. This guy, he said, I, he said, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. That little phrase took hold. It means I got arrested. I was on my way to do this thing, and Jesus arrested me. Heart, soul, mind, body, strength, he got all of me. And immediately, this dude was a completely different person. Jesus started to tell him things. He started to reveal to him, like, like what all those Old Testament prophecies, Paul had knew, like, the entire Old Testament better than anybody. And he's like, remember this verse, remember this verse. This was about me, and that was about me, and this was about me. And he starts telling Paul, this is the plan. This is what we're doing now. The reason that I died was I was taking everybody's place, bearing all of their shame, just taking the punishment for all of their sins so that for free, anybody who wants it can be completely and totally forgiven. And you're going to go throughout the whole world telling everybody you can about this. And I think that in, that in those moments and in those days where Paul was like his whole life had been turned upside down, I think he started to put something together, which was, okay, hold on. I am like, don't want to brag, like the smartest guy ever. I am like one of the most well-connected people ever. I've got this passport that can get me in all over the world. I've got preparation. I've got passion like nobody else. I think Jesus saved me because I am the five-star, number one, blue-chip recruit of all time. I'm about to take this world by storm. And so as soon as he got to Damascus, they're expecting him to round up all the Christians. He starts debating all of the the, Jewish leaders there in Damascus about how Jesus is the Messiah. He drove everybody crazy. Everybody's like, stop. He's like fighting everybody he can. He's like, no, no, no. I've got this whole thing on lock. I can explain to you how Jesus is the Messiah. He's going after people with this message, driving everybody crazy. They wanted to throw rocks at him. So the other Christians had to put him in a basket and lower him down the side of the the wall of the city in the middle of the night. By the way, the basket was the dumpster. It was like the one place people aren't going to look is we're going to lower this guy out of the city in the middle of the night. It's like a special operation in a dumpster. He goes to Jerusalem. He starts arguing with everybody there. He's driving everybody crazy. They had to send him home to the town that he was born in where he stayed on the bench for 10 years. And by the way, right after that happens in the book of Acts chapter 9, it says, and the church experienced much joy and growth and everybody was at peace. (laughs) 
This dude thought, I am the number one five-star, just I am going to turn this whole world upside down. And they sat him on the bench, and then the thing grew. At some point, um, he had this experience that we read about in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This experience where he said, I, I don't know if it was in the body. I don't, know what, I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was just a vision, but I saw heaven. And like, I'll never be the same. I saw things I can't describe to you. I, was, I saw things nobody's ever thought, ever, ever imagined. I can't even explain it to you. And to keep me from being conceited, he said, I also got this other thing. I got this thorn in the flesh. He said it was a messenger of Satan to torment me. That word torment, it's the same word that's used other times in the New Testament to be punched in the face. Like Jesus gave Satan permission to just punch me in the face. And it was just part of my life. We don't know what it was. Some people say it was like Paul's eyesight because it was demonstrably bad. Like you, he talks about it all over, all over his letters. We don't know if that's what it was. I'm not sure what it was. One thing we do know is Jesus gave Satan permission to straight up torment this guy. He actually says, this is interesting, because I was looking at the original language on this verse. He actually says, to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from being conceited. He says the keep me from being conceited thing twice, because he's like, apparently I just really thought I was the bomb. And this thing really, really brought me down. What's interesting is he said, I asked Jesus three times, take this thing away from me. Like you've done this miraculous thing in my life. You've changed my life completely, 180 degrees. I was the guy chasing Christians down. Now I'm the guy going everywhere, telling everybody to, to come to know Jesus, like telling them this message. You've changed my life. It's a totally miraculous thing. And there's this thing in my life that I don't understand, that I don't want. It's painful. I just am suffering because of it. Please take it away. And Jesus said, no, no. Okay, I'm asking you again. Please, please just take this one thing out of my life. No. And then a third time, please don't make me have to live with this. I don't understand it. I don't want it. I want anything other than this. Does anybody in this room know what it feels like to have something in your life and you have just begged Jesus, I don't understand this and I don't want it, and please take it away? And what in the world does it mean that he gives us things and he doesn't take them away? I mean, he said, I came that they might have life and have it to the full. Abundant life? I don't think you're a very good driver. Trust my life into your hands. I don't like what you're doing with it. I want this thing to be gone from it. And Jesus says, no. A couple of things. I, I cannot stand up here and tell you that I understand why Jesus does people like that. I, can't under, I don't know the reason. I, I, I can't speak for him in that way. I can't tell you why he's allowed certain things into your life that he hasn't taken away, that you've begged him to take away. I don't know the answer to that. But in thinking about Paul this week, and somebody that was almost fixed, and Jesus refused to do something about it. I have seen some cool things in him. He says in this paragraph something that like, like Paul says a lot of things that 
that were just like mysteries that Jesus revealed to him. Like he's the guy that, that realized because Jesus told him, like, I, I declare to you a mystery. Nobody's ever understood this before, but Jesus came to save not just us, but people that are not Jewish. And everybody's like, what? And he's like, yeah, he wants the whole world. Wow, that's amazing. He had certain things like that that he knew that nobody else knew. And he reveals something in this one. Jesus said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. He said, when I am weak, then I am strong. Um, I don't want that. I don't want anything to do with that. I don't know if anybody else feels like that, but I would be like, that's great that you understood that. I, I would like to opt out of that, please. My power is, I, he said, I delight in weaknesses. He actually, that word delight, it's the same word that's used when Jesus was being baptized in the Jordan River and he comes up out of the water and God the Father said, this is my beloved son in who I am well pleased. Like I have loved watching his life. And Paul says, you know what I love? I love insults. I love injury. I love hardships. And you're like, what is wrong with you? I don't love those things. Straight up. I don't want them. I don't like them. I do not want to invite them over for dinner. I don't want to hang out with them. We are not friends. And Paul's like, I love them. And I'm like, how can you say that? Um, one thing that I have been thinking about this dude is like, he's so interesting because he was the, the top of the top, right? This guy was like number one PhD, number one draft pick, the most awesome guy ever. And he was wealthy and connected and all that stuff. And I think about the world that we live in, the culture that we live in, and that's the kind of person that gets so celebrated. I think about the fact that we have industries and books and podcasts, endless TED Talks and everything else that will tell you how to have an efficient, how to become your best self, how to get rid of inefficiencies in your life and irresponsibility in your life, and how to be awesome, right? You're just constantly getting that stuff. And I think one of the results, I know in my life, one of the results of that kind of culture, of that kind of like fix yourself books and podcasts and TED Talks and let's make this thing amazing and let's make your life amazing and efficient and all that stuff is when I am overwhelmed and when I can't hack it, I feel like a gigantic failure. Just a gigantic failure. Because our culture is constantly telling us you can make it better. You can get yourself where you need to be. Here's what, just listen to this. Have you tried this diet? Have you tried this exercise? Have you tried this thing? We're going to keto and cardio. Whatever the thing is, you can make this all better right now. You can get educated enough. You can get wealthy enough. You can have enough money in the bank and you can, whatever. So that when I am not in that situation, if I'm trying some diet and then I, and then I just want to hang out with this donut for a minute, like I just automatically feel terrible about myself. You f when you can't hack it, you feel like a failure. Because we constantly have the message that you should be able to and that you can. Here's the deal. The point of life was never, was never for you to be able to hack it and make it. The point of life was for you not to get it all together, but to get together with Jesus. That was the point of life. It was never about, can you not fail? 
It was about, can you, are you going to have a relationship with the one who made you? The whole point of your existence is to know Jesus. So maybe the reason that sometimes we have stuff we can't handle is because he says, I want you in my hip pocket. I want you with me. You were never supposed to have everything all figured out. When you can't, this is a novel idea, and I just, it's going to sound stupid when I say it out loud, but I just want you to go with me for just a second. What if the next time you really can't hack it on, maybe it's tomorrow, maybe it's next week, that you stop yourself before you feel like a failure and you say this instead, wait a minute, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Because the point of my life was never to be able to handle everything. The point of my life was to have a life with Jesus in it. I was thinking this week about how um, when our Lord was hanging with his guys right before he ascended into heaven, he made a beautiful promise to them. And my entire life, I've always thought of this verse as just like, the, just such a sweet promise when he said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that is such a sweet promise. And when I'm feeling alone, I can remember, I'm with you always until the end of the age. But here's my thing. What if it's not just a promise? What if it was the point? It was the point of the whole thing. So that when I have weaknesses, I'm, I'm, I have to go to him. When I have something I can't handle, I have to go to him. When I'm overwhelmed, I have to go to him. The whole point of this thing was for me to be needy. The whole point of this thing was not for me to be able to handle the diet and handle my money and handle my situations and handle it and be strong and be courageous and be all those things. The whole point of the thing was for me to be in his hip pocket this whole time. I'm not telling you that's the reason that he hasn't cleared up that thing in your life that, that you really, really want him to. But what I am telling you is, when you can't hack it, you have not failed. Because the one who said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, he's saying, that's not just a promise, that was a point of the whole thing. Somehow, Paul got to the place where he looked at insults and hardships and all that stuff, and he was like, I love it here. The, a couple of years ago, we were talking about that Chicago trip. A couple of years ago, a few of us went, and uh, Justin was with us on that trip, and he had researched and heard about this like arcade that he wanted to go to. And he was like, we're going to this arcade. So we go in and we're all just kind of standing around and Justin has disappeared. He's just, just, just kind of poking around and figuring this place out. And all of a sudden, he like, he, when he found us, he was moving so fast that he was almost skating through the room. But he was like, all the games are free. And he just like skated by us. And as he was going by, he said, tell Grace I live here now. And it, was, and it was just like, he was just so happy. And it's like, I think about Paul in this situation and he learned something that I think so few people figure out is what if I get to the place where it's like, I live here now. And when I can't hack it and when I'm in over my head and when I'm struggling and confused and hurting and all of it, I live right here. I just live with Jesus this whole time. I'm not telling you I'm there. I'm telling you I'm trying to figure out, but I think this guy learned something. And, uh, and I'm hoping to learn it. I'm hoping this week, and I hope you will too, that the way you tell your story can change from I'm a failure to I'm right where I'm supposed to be because the whole point of this whole thing was to have a relationship with Jesus anyway. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thanks for this morning. Help us to get to the place where we say, I live here now. I love it here. I love being in the place where I need him, where I need you. And I don't have to have all the answers, and I don't have to have it all figured out, and I don't have to be strong enough to pick it all up. 
to answer it all or any of those things. Because you always wanted us here, you and me together. Thanks, Lord. Teach us this thing. Teach us this week to tell our story in a little bit different way. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I don't have what it takes. And I know I'm not good enough. So I'm trusting in your grace. Oh, I'm resting on your love. Well, I know.
my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong.